What shall we do? <laughs> the news. Bullshit the news. Bullshit is everywhere. Don't have time. Welcome back to Bullshit Filter the News. Don't have wow. time for theme songs. We've been gas bagging and we're running out of time because i got places i got to be. Um, Bullshit Filter the News, episode 12, June, no, uh, yes, June something, 25th, <laughs> right. 2018. Yeah. Uh, my yeah, name well. is Cameron Riley. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, with me uh, from Virginia is Ray Papa Bear Harris. How are you, Papa Bear? Doing great, everybody. Welcome to the speed, speed round. This is the last bullshit filter the news show we will be doing before we hop on a plane and right. uh, go to Paris with some of our closest our uh, friends, right. our favorite listeners. Um, Going to do uh, uh, spend a month or so in Europe. Um, so I feel sad for you that <laughs> those of us that won't be with us don't really. <laughs> you know, to hell with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should have. Right, jump. You should have bought a ticket. But if you um, if you live in Europe, come by and, and meet us and uh, say hi and buy us dinner, and we'll semi not hate you anymore. Semi. Yeah, some people are. We we are going to catch up with a listener in Athens who lives there, and Ooh. I think a couple of people in Italy and maybe even France are going to swing by, which is nice. Nice. Now um, the stories we're going to be. So what we do on this show, if it's your first time is uh, we, we take a half a dozen news stories over the course of the week and we just break them down, talk about them, analyze them, explain them, things that we think you should know that maybe weren't given enough coverage by the mainstream media or mm-hmm. maybe you didn't pay enough attention to. And we try and also dissect the bullshit um, that right. you may have heard in some stories. What we're going to be talking about today, give you a bit of a preview, massive supercomputer that's going to uh, rival the human brain in terms of processing power going to be built. We're going to be talking about Canada legalizing marijuana. We're going to Woo! be talking about the United States quitting the United Nations Human Rights Council. Oh. We're going to be talking about uh, how much oil the United States is going to start producing Woo! and why Australians hate democracy. Oh. So that's coming up over the course of the next hour. Start. Let's start with the supercomputer story. Right now, we did a supercomputing story last week. Yeah. We've done a couple yeah. recently. A lot of supercomputing news uh, coming out at the moment. Right. Uh, the the latest one I read is that the U.S. Department of Energy is going to come out with a, they're going to build a computer called Aurora Twenty One. Right. It's going to uh, come out in twenty twenty one. It was originally supposed to come out in twenty eighteen. Um, for some reason, it's slipping by a few years. Mm-hmm. But in the process of that, they're going to increase its performance from a puny one hundred and eighty <laughs> petaflops. <laughs> To over one exaflop. Nice. What the fuck yeah, is that? Yeah, you an have exaflop? no idea what an exaflop <laughs> is, do you? Don't I have don't. a clue what an exaflop it's is. Exa and flop. No, I please tell me what that is. Well, flop, a flop is the way that you measure computing power. It's a floating operation per second, flop. Um, it's uh, so. Uh, uh, <laughs> An exa. What's an exa? I think an exa is a I know billion. <laughs> I think exa is a billion billion. Right. Right. Damn. Billion billion. How many zeros? A peta. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's it's a lot of zeros, right? Um, <laughs> Let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Now a peta, P-E-T-A, right. is ten to the power of fifteen. Right. So, uh, 10 with 15 zeros or a 1 with 15 zeros? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've done my uh, yeah. maths. But anyway, um, if somebody out there will know what we're talking about. An exa right. is 10 to the power of 18. Uh, so, that's, yeah, a billion billion. Per second. Wow. Yeah, operations per second. Um, that so what's 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 a big so why do we care why why is that important well it's going to be the first U.S. supercomputer to hit uh, the exascale as they call it to leap over the exascale hurdle mm, right um, China's first exascale supercomputer is supposed to be ready by 2020 so is Japan's Ooh. but this will be the first one for the United States now. An exaflop, billion, billion operations per second, is supposedly the theoretical 
processing power of the human brain at the neural level. Ah, that's impressive to be able to make what we do and not need rest, not need sleep, <clears throat> not get distracted, not have emotions. That's pretty well. That's, let that's me pretty yeah. let me qualify that. Yeah. When I say the human brain, <laughs> I'm not including yours in there. No, uh, I think I think they I think the um, Casio calculator that I had in 1983 probably right. uh, was running faster than your brain. But uh, judging by the level of Ray jokes at the podcast meetup I was at yesterday, uh, right. Trevor Bell's podcast meetup. Hey, Trevor, I invited Trevor to come on the show today um, to so I could castigate him and his co-hosts for their uh, misunderstandings of what the purpose of the United Nations is. But he ah. said, can't, too busy. But uh, shout out to Trevor. Lovely meet up with uh, him and some of his listeners and our listeners uh, yesterday for a few beers um, here in Brizzy Town. Anywho, um, yeah, a regular human brain, right? Like, so, right. you know. Okay, I got you. I you got know, you. Yeah, regular size human brain. <laughs> now, um, it's the, there's a thing called the Human Brain Project that's been around for, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. Bunch of scientists around the world that are trying to build supercomputers with uh, and, and leverage supercomputers that have this exascale capabilities, what they've been targeting, um, to, to test advancements, not only in simulating human levels of intelligence, but also lots of other applications as well. Now, does this mean that these computers are going to become sentient or conscious? Or where are they going to take over? Is 2020, 2021? Is that when Skynet rises up and kills us all? For our own good. Probably probably not. I mean, the processing power is just one part of the problem mm-hmm. how you then uh write software uh, that that can run on that processing power that simulates what the human brain does we're nowhere near close to understanding that at the moment as far as i'm aware uh but the other part of that argument is well we don't necessarily want to replicate or need to replicate human style intelligence when we talk about machine intelligence or artificial intelligence mm-hmm. it's not necessarily human level intelligence we want to replicate i mean it, it one of the criticisms that you sometimes hear is people go okay well these ais that we have um yes they can do a lot of th- things really really quickly and they're very good at them like playing chess or playing go or or, or analyzing weather or analyzing the stock market or whatever it is, but they are single purpose. They're very, very specific. Right. Um, but imagine you had a billion of those that were all very specific in what they did and that they were networked and could talk to each other and share information. Then which is a game changer. Yeah. Kind of what the human brain does. I mean, the human brain is made up of different modules, different parts of the brain that do different things. Some process vision, some process sound, mm-hmm. some process uh, uh, balance and and the functioning of the body. So our brain is really a lot of uh, single-purpose computers that are networked and share information with each other is my understanding of how the brain works. I'm no longer a, a, a neuroscientist, so you know my information may be a little bit out of date. Okay, yeah, here, but yeah. yeah. So I, I read, um, yeah, yeah. No, I read that a guy named uh, Chandra Shikhar from Oracle said that uh, this new computer that the Americans are coming out with. He said, this is going to be a game changer for customers, allowing them to essentially rent a supercomputer by the hour. And this, this is supposed to be able to help with AI and deep, uh, deep learning, which is machine learning that trains a computer to perform human-like tasks like recognizing speech. And it's also going to help with speech, rec- uh, speech uh, recognition technology in case some of those companies out there that do phones want to be able to give you an app that can do all languages, all accents in a less than perfect setting. So again, the, the, once they get going, like you said, with the software, the, the potential is incredible, but 
as, as impressive as this is, you know, it's pretty much one step at a time. And other countries are going to have theirs as well. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, angst out there about the fact that China might mm. be uh, getting ahead of the United States with the developing of this stuff. I read a book, a fiction book, mm-hmm. science fiction book, uh, recently. I uh, can't remember the name of it. Um, but uh, it's by a guy who's uh, comes out of Silicon Valley, sort of a tech startup guy. Oh, after after on, yeah, oh, after I like that. On. Rob Reed, after on by Rob Reed. If you right. uh, if you're into such things, you like reading near term science fiction, near terms like it's set in the next twenty years or so. Um, that's fairly uh, uh, scientifically credible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grab After On by Rob Reed. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. And um, in that book, there's a, it, it, there's a big war between the Chinese and the Americans over developing the first general intelligence, artificial intelligence. And uh, they kind of believe, like the, the military leaders of both countries believe that whoever develops that first wins everything for all time. Right. Because um, it's a game changer when you develop, you know, a Skynet level AI. Um, it's a game changer. So uh, yeah, interesting book. L- let me ask because I am not well versed on this stuff. I was reading the art, some of these articles, and in some ways it was like another language. It might as well have been Greek uh, as far as the terms that they use. So let me ask a, a probably a naive question: What is the ultimate goal. Um, we're going to have these computers that can do a billion, billion uh, processes or whatever a second. And and then, you know, five years from now, it'd be able to do more than that. And then more and more and more. I mean, what, what, are, what are we hoping to achieve besides always looking for what's over the next horizon? I get that because that's what humans do. But are, are we looking to maybe put everything... Um, into computers? Are we, are we looking to streamline our military? Are we looking to streamline healthcare? Are we looking to uh, put everything into a computer and have everything run better, faster, cheaper? I mean, is it is it just a tool, but because it's a computer, we're impressed by it versus all the other tools that have been invented throughout history? I'm just trying to understand. I know there's no stopping point, but what, what are some of the applications that can be used, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the road with these incredible machines? Well, to get back to your first question, I mm-hmm. think what drives the development of these things is economic competitive advantage. That's what countries are looking for. Um, the, the U.S. Department of Energy and the military and corporations, mm-hmm. they believe that by having more and more computing power, faster computing power, they're going to have a, a, an advantage against their competitors. It's a, it's a it's an arms race, basically, right. right? In a different form. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, it's 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 an arms race from a corporate or an economic perspective. Right. Um, you want to have the most powerful tools available to help you analyze things faster, produce things faster or more efficiently. So that's the end goal of what drives investment into technology, always has been, going back to the invention of the wheel and uh, the stirrups and saddles, Uh and our mate Alexander the Great back in the 330s BCE building better and better siege engines. (laughs) Yeah. It, that it was an arms race, literally technology driving the arms race for better and better warfare all the way through the Cold War. And this kind of stuff, it's all about competitive advantage. Yeah. Uh, the reason I buy a MacBook rather than a cheaper computer is because I believe that that technology is going to make me more effective and more efficient. It's going to enable me to get more done mm. so I can pay the bills, right. rightly or wrongly. Um, so that's, I think, what drives investment. I mean, the, the end goal, though, from my perspective, as I think we talked about last week, is uh, we, we need machine intelligence to take over because humans are fucking stupid <laughs> and we're going to wipe out the entire... We're going to wipe out 
five billion years of evolutionary progress on this planet that uh, has got us to this point in the next hundred years if, if we don't have a uh, higher form of intelligence take over. Yeah, thanks. Um, and I have very little uh, confidence that humans are, are able to uh, uh, pull ourselves out of our death spiral quickly enough so um yeah we can't even escape tribalism much less think of the entire planet's benefits so yeah i agree it's we we need some other way to make decisions and to take care of things and if there is one sort of glimmer of hope in that area it's canada right <laughs> oh because canada. of anything yeah if anything is going to <laughs> break this death spiral that the human race is in it's drugs more right. and more <laughs> drugs the good kind. um well any kind really we need okay. to change our state of consciousness now um canada just legalized marijuana um why is that a big deal where they are where they are only the second country after uruguay yeah to have done it at a national level in the united states you've got a handful of states now there's mm -hmm. nine states that have legalized it but at a federal level it's still right regular or not regulated it's still illegal i mm -hmm. guess it's regulated um canada's gone nah, fuck it boom last week all going to be legal now right. now it legalizes possession growing it at home and sale to adults, the sale to adults. Right. Still going to be some criminal sanctions selling to kids. The government's still going to license producers. Provincial governments are going to manage sales distribution and other things. But uh, generally speaking, it's going to be decriminalized, not just decriminalized, but legalized across the, across the board in Canada. Right. Which is interesting because when I was in Canada uh, earlier this year, I was learning more about how hard it is to buy booze in Canada. Wow. Booze, the sale of booze is incredibly regulated in Canada. Um, far, well, I mean, it's regulated everywhere, but incredibly, it's very, very really? difficult to buy booze. Hard, way harder to buy booze in Canada than it is in Australia. Um. So, anywho, um, well, for whatever reason, I think this was a, one of Trudeau's election promises and he's followed through and he's done it. Now, yeah. there's some problems with this, though, mm -hmm. and it's got to do with international drug treaties. The Canada, like the US, like most of the countries around the world, are part of these international drug treaties that you and I have been talking about <laughs> on our War on Drugs series on this very podcast channel, The Bullshit right. Filter. Particularly, uh, there's a 1961 convention that everyone signed up to. Said, "Yep, fucking no more, no drugs. We're going to clamp down on drugs." So they're still a part of that treaty, um, but they've just legalized marijuana. Now that's tricky. Mm -hmm. How they're going to do that dance, um, and 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 how that's going to impact on their relationship with the United States and other countries. But we already know the US is going to war with Canada. Oh, we yeah. talked about that last week. Hell so yeah. this this may just make it easier. They can say, you know, we need to invade Canada now because yeah. they've legalized marijuana. Yeah, I got my draft notice um, <clears throat> the other day, so I'm looking forward to going to Canada. I, I was I was looking at a uh, tweet that Justin Trudeau put out, and, and it pretty much sums up what you and I have been saying on the on the War on Drugs series. He says, it's been too easy for our kids to get marijuana and for criminals to reap the profits. Today we changed that. Our plan to legalize and regulate marijuana just passed the Senate. So what's what's expected is that the first year of Canada having a legalized pot is expected to generate $4 billion in sales. And as we all know, the government's going to get their uh, part of that through uh, fees and taxes and other stuff. In the United States in 2017, um, the few, like you said, the few states that, that have it legal here generated $9 billion in sales. So uh, again, so... It, uh, Justin Trudeau in Canada, you have to give him credit. They're trying to get out ahead of the problem, control the process, and make money from it at the same time so they can take that money and reinvest it in their social program or whatever that they have going on. So I think it's a solid move. I, I truly don't think Trump gives a shit one way or another. He's not Nixon. He's not Harry Anslinger. I don't think he gives a crap 
but you're right, he could certainly use this as an excuse to, to increase or keep the tension between Canada. But if it was any other president, they might say, this is a moral outrage. Our neighbor to the north is going to legalize it. A whole bunch of people from here are going to go up there and drive it and buy it or whatever. I just don't think Trump cares he just might want to legalize pot in the United States just for the financial benefit. But if he says he's upset, it's just my personal opinion. I don't think he cares enough. He's not really upset. He's just grandstanding. Well, on the contrary, Trump's been dropping hints recently yeah, right. that he, he might uh, push to legalize it but across you don't, the board in the United States as well. But you don't know what to believe because he changes his mind and he says shit all the time, someone caught him in a lie, a reporter caught him in a lie last week, and he said, look, when I gave that quote, I was talking to the New York Times. Who cares if I lie to them? It wasn't the Supreme Court. I mean, he pretty much said that. So <laughs> the point is, you never know where you stand with this guy. So I hope he does legalize yeah. it, but you don't know. Yeah, no, Trump just you know says whatever comes into his mind at that second. <laughs> might do this, might do that, might not. Does it, I don't know. I'm a leaf in the wind. That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, look, and you know, I, I contrast Canada's position on this to my own country's position mm-hmm. on this, which we've talked about um, on the show on the on our War on Drugs series, where we still have a lot of our uh, ministers in this country talking about marijuana. Uh, like it's injecting cocaine into your nutsack. I mean, right. it, the, the, the amount of fear and misinformation and, oh, no, the shaking of the hands around marijuana um, is is ridiculous. But yeah. um, I, I have full confidence that the majority of the developed world will catch up to Uruguay and Canada over mm-hmm. the course of time. And I do think it's a good thing. I think that um, for a whole variety of reasons, uh, you know, all the stuff that we've talked about uh, so far in our War on Drugs series, the 20-odd episodes that we've done on it, um, yeah, there is no evidence that uh, particularly marijuana is bad for the most people. There's a small percentage of people that will have an adverse reaction to it. Mm Um, as is true of most things. Um, but the, for the vast majority of people, it's not just benign, but probably good for them, uh, certainly better than booze is in terms of reducing stress and, and relaxing. Then you've got th- other things like LSD, which I think would be good for everybody to take. I just watched a video this morning. Somebody sent me, one of our listeners, can't remember who, um, mm-hmm. But uh, it was a guy uh, who was on Bill Maher's show recently talking about the experiments that he's been doing with the therapeutic use of psilocybin mushrooms and LSD and how it led to ego dissolution and had a dramatic impact on his perception of himself and his place in the universe. And we've talked about stories like that on our show as well. And, um, yeah, I think if more and more people had those sorts of experiences, either through meditation or or spiritual journey or even an introduction to that experience by using mind-altering drugs in a safe and controlled way, it would have a big impact on the direction of the world. But... uh, you know, Timothy Leary was saying the same stuff back in the yes, 60s, man. That's what I was about to say. Control yeah. it, experiment with it, gain experience, gain knowledge, and, and like you said, have it in a controlled environment, and let's learn what, what it's capable of and what we should not do. Obviously, you learn what it can do and what you should not do, and you move forward, but we've got this... Um, fear, this apprehension that absolutely locks up any kind of logical thinking. And so, of course, you're not going to make any progress on this issue or any other issue because you're listening to decades of bullshit that have told you one thing, but but it's not, like you said earlier, it's not based on any research or any science whatsoever. And I th- that has been the um, major takeaway for me from the research that I've done on the War on Drugs series is that going right back to the very beginning of the war on drugs in the 20s and 30s, it not only was not based on scientific evidence, but all of the scientists and the doctors (laughs) and the medical professionals were saying, 
shut up, you're wrong about this. These drugs are not bad. And uh, a handful of uh, cops and politicians were basically shouting them down and implementing this war on drugs despite the scientific and medical evidence about the dangers of the drugs or lack thereof. So, um, yeah, look, it's good to see and and props to Trudeau and the Canadians for leading, uh, after Uruguay, leading the developed world uh, in this. And, you know, and of course, as I think uh, Trudeau or or somebody in Canada said, there's um, tens of thousands if not more, people whose lives have been ruined by the prohibition of these drugs. Right. They've been they've been arrested. They've been uh, they've been fined. Uh, they've lost jobs, mm-hmm. all because they want to uh, use a drug that is beneficial to them. Uh, and in and in a lot of cases, in the absence of being able to procure and use marijuana legally they've been forced to take opioids and things like that for management of pain mm-hmm. or, or, or other depression or some psychological problems uh, which has had lots of negative effects as well addiction to opioids and um, the mixing yeah. of them with other things and deaths and all this kind of crap that we know about the opioid crisis so um, lots of benefits the, uh, uh, and also then there's the cost to the state of managing mm-hmm. the prohibited substances, you know, arresting people, jailing people, keeping them in jail, uh, all this kind of stuff, the cost of all of that, which we can eradicate and replace with a revenue stream may not be the biggest. I think um, uh, I read that uh, the revenue that comes in in states like Colorado from the legalization of, of things like marijuana is tiny. It's like 1% of mm-hmm. their annual budget. But on top of that, they're not spending the money of... of exactly. Of, uh, it's twofold. Of the, you know, the, the costs of prohibition. Right. Um, and, and then you have the, the knock-on effects. You have to look at the greater meta-economic effects of having a population now that isn't being put into prison and where this sort of stuff, harmless use of these drugs isn't demonized and the... I'm sure there are greater economic impacts of that that we will only begin to understand 20, 30, 40 years from now. Right. Yeah. Go Canada. Or, yeah. Well, yeah, go Canada. Um, so, but getting back to the, the international drug treaties, so what are they going to do about that? Uh, there's a few options. They could follow Uruguay, right. which has essentially refused to acknowledge that legalization <laughs> violates the treaties. Fuck you. Yeah. yeah no, we still, we're still part of the treaty. We're just yeah. approaching it from a different way. Um, or right, Canada could just walk away from the treaty, like the United States did with the Human Rights Council last week. America decided they didn't like the game. They took their ball and they went home. Yeah. So I'm sure people have heard of this, but the US just quit the Human Rights Council. The United Nations Human Rights Council said, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. Fuck you. And they walked out. <laughs> I know. It's embarrassing. Nick, Nikki Haley, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, said human rights abusers continue to serve on and be elected to the council Ooh. as part of their justification. This is coming from a country ah. that had recently separated over 2,000 screaming and crying children from their screaming and crying parents at the border. <sighs> and that ran secret, ran secret torture camps around the world uh, a decade ago. Uh, were complaining about hypocrisy in the Human Rights Council. Right. I, I just have to say, there's a part of this that's wrapped up in this that I think is probably going to get missed by a lot of people who just watch you know, the 15 seconds of the news. Back in May, there was a United Nations special report put together by Philip Alston. And in this report, he said, and for those of you that listen in America, that, that live in America, please listen up very carefully. He said, the United States has the highest rates of youth poverty, infant mortality, incarceration, income equality, and obesity among all the nations of the developed world, and that 40 million Americans live in poverty. 
So as you can imagine, the Republicans, uh, Trump and his party, tore into this. Austin also said that when President Trump and the Republicans passed the tax cut from last year, last fall, that actually made the problem worse. Now, Nikki Haley, and I know a little bit about Nikki Haley because she's from my state, South Carolina. I don't think she's as right wing as uh, Trump is, and I don't think she's enjoying doing this. But but it's her job. She she was governor. If she her term was up, she had nothing to do. She gets tapped to be ambassador. Hey, why wouldn't you take that? But the point is, she's got to defend this. So she says to this report, it is patently ridiculous for the United Nations to examine poverty in America. And she wrote this. She wrote this in a letter to Bernie Sanders. She said, "In our country, the president, members of Congress, governors, mayors, and city council member, members actively engage on poverty issues every day." Well, one, that's not true. We know that's a lie. But two, if you if they are doing this, and there's still 40 million Americans below the poverty line, they're not doing a very good job. So, so you've already got a fight between America and the United Nations going back to, uh, you know, last month. And then you throw this on top when I guess they were, everybody was uh, attacking Israel and condemning Israel's uh, shooting of, of the uh, of the innocent people who were who were unarmed, and I guess America would just decided to show which side which which side they're loyal to. Mm. So Nikki Haley um, claimed that the reason that they left the Human Rights Council was because it has a quote chronic bias against Israel oh. end quote. Right. And that uh, Russia, China, Cuba, and Egypt had thwarted American efforts to reform the council. Uh, she said, human rights abusers continue to serve on and be elected to the council. The world's most inhumane regimes continue to escape scrutiny. And the council continues politicizing and scapegoating of countries with positive human rights records in an attempt to distract from the abusers in their ranks. Mm. Now, this is where um, I wanted to get into it with uh, Trev and the guys from um, the Iron Fist uh, podcast. And I I got into this with several people on Facebook over the course of the last week as well. Unfortunately, some of them were unable to have a respectful debate and started ad hominem, ad hominem, uh, attacking the man and not the ball. So I uh, had to block them from the discussion. But um, look, here's the thing. Uh, you know, I, I've heard people criticizing the UNHRC for a while because of the makeup of some of the members of the council and Saudi Arabia chairing the council for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Saudi Arabia obviously does not have a great human rights record. Um, I've heard people criticizing it, uh, particularly our mate Barry from Israel for the, the focus of the HRC on Israel. Um, and those things are true. Saudi Arabia is a terrible country when it comes to human rights. Um, and, and the HRC has criticized Israel way more than it has criticized other human rights abusers. Mm. I, I I don't have a problem with those things. I mean I don't I don't disagree with those things. Right. Um but here's my take on it. The the United Nations, which the HRC is is a, one of the bodies of the United Nations. Mm. The United Nations was set up by American President Franklin Delano Roosevelt As an in-joke for people who don't listen to our Cold War show, you should. Um, It was set up, uh, it was his vision towards Mm -hmm. the the end of his life, just before he died, early 1945, to set up the UN as a democracy for the countries of the world to come together and talk about their disagreements rather than go to war over their disagreements. Good idea. To try and sort it out in a room where your representatives get together and argue and try and act like grown-ups and figure out how can we resolve our disagreements without having to go to war. Now, that was his vision for the UN, for the General Assembly. The vision for the Security Council was originally to be to have a, a, a military presence that could intervene when its uh, members decided that a certain country had gone off the rails mm-hmm. to prevent a human rights catastrophe. 
as we know, um, the the problem with the Security Council was is a last minute thing, um, partly because uh, they needed to get Stalin on board and also, but Churchill and FDR had their own concerns as well about the Security Council, the veto system of the permanent members. Um, the five permanent members was created, which has kind of made the Security Council a bit of a toothless tiger ever since, because there's, right. there's always one of those permanent members that's going to veto action uh, on one of its client states. And uh, if there's somebody takes. doing some horrendous shit around the world, they're usually a client state of one of these major powers or one of the major powers themselves. So yes, so it's, it's kind of flawed, but it's it's a start. It's, it's um, prevented or at least help prevent another world war since 1945. Also, the the existence of nuclear weapons has probably um, played a good role in that as well. Right. Uh, or, or a bad role in that, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, but it's a democracy, is my point. Now, I know that there are countries in the world, and therefore part of the United Nations, that we in the West don't like. We don't we don't like the way they do things. Right. We don't like Saudi treatment of women or mm. of atheists um, or of the Yemenis. Uh, but the United States, on the other hand, loves Saudi Arabia. <laughs> this is the great thing about this. On one hand, President Trump goes to Saudi Arabia, stands in front of a some sort of a magic big crystal ball. <laughs> Right. With uh, the the top Saudi princes and king, and he's like, "Fucking love Saudi Arabia. You guys are great." Does the sword dance? Sell us, uh-huh. sell us your oil. Buy yeah. our weapons. Prop up our economy. Win win. Let's go after Qatar. Um, loves them. On the other hand, they get to <laughs> they go. Well, we have to leave the HRC because the Saudis are part of it. Now, hold on a second. If you don't like the Saudis, <laughs> stop giving them weapons. Right. No, no, we're not going to do that. Are you crazy? No, we've got to do that. We're going to sell them, sell them a billions of dollars worth of weapons on Monday, criticise them for using billions of dollars of weapons on Tuesday uh, to <laughs> and, and then repeat human rights abusers. Yeah. Right, rinse, repeat. But, here's, but my thing is that it's a democracy. Yes, we don't like these people, but that's how democracies work. There are people in my country, there are people in your country who have hor- horrendous, heinous views as well. Mm-hmm. You have fucking neo-Nazis. Yeah. You, you have, you have uh, Christian and, and Muslim fundamentalists, probably Jewish fundamentalists, Buddhist fundamentalists. They're the worst, Buddhist <laughs> fundamentalists. <laughs> Ask people in Sri Lanka. Right. Um, in Myanmar. So you have fundamentalists, you have bad people in every democracy. The, the way to deal with that isn't to say, well, fuck you, I'm walking out of the democracy. Exactly. Well, I mean, you can. I mean, we'll but get it's not going to solve anything. Yeah. So, yes. And, and, oh, my God, they're part of the Human Rights Council. Yes, because they're countries yeah. in the world. Now, they have a view of human rights. We have a view of human rights. Their view about human rights differs from our view of human rights. Does that mean ours is right and theirs is wrong? Well, we like to think so, but they obviously disagree. So right. we have to sit around a table with them and use the force of ideas mm-hmm. and, and other leverages that we have to try and move them to our side of the conversation. Um, now, uh, walking away from it is a ridiculous idea. So where does that end? Now, the United States also doesn't like the General Assembly. Because the General Assembly criticizes Israel constantly as well. So what's next? Is the United States going to leave the United Nations General Assembly? Ah, uh, and then just maybe stay on the Security Council? Or are they going to pull out of that as well? Well, the Security Council criticizes Israel constantly as well. So maybe they should leave the Security Council as well. So is this? So if the United States pulls out of the UN, carte blanche, shuts down its its headquarters in New York, right? cuts all of its funding Which is a lot. Uh, then what does 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 it just dissolve the UN or do they go on with the out the United States they move the headquarters to Geneva where it probably should have been in the first place mm-hmm. um, or or what I mean like the US is is refused to join the International Criminal Court right is it gonna now pull out of the UN just because it disagrees with its focus now here's the other part of this 
Okay, so the HSC focuses on Israel more than other abusers, but that doesn't mean that Israel isn't a human rights abuser. The focus here should be on let's stop Israel from right. being a human rights abuser. Thank you. Not, oh my God, they criticize Israel disproportionately to how they criticize other countries. That's not the discussion that, sh- that, that we should be having. Exactly. Now, if you don't think that Israel is a major abuser of human rights, then seriously, you're, you're an ignorant up. motherfucker. No. Yeah. <laughs> Get woke. So, yeah. Uh, according to every... It's not just the United Nations Human Rights Council that says Israel is a major abuser of human rights. Amnesty International, Oxfam, the United Nations General Assembly, the United Nations Security Council, and tons and tons of other international bodies. That are, I mean, you, you can't say they're all stock full of anti Semites. Right. Uh, it's, that's a ridiculous proposition uh, yeah. to make. Look, Israel is doing horrible, horrible things to the people of Palestine and has been for decades. And don't give me this, oh, well, they're terrorists. Fuck off. Their, their country has been invaded for 60 years. Um, and they've been kept in basically a big open-air prison mm-hmm. where access to water and food and medical supplies and other economic resources has been um, severely constricted. Yeah, you do that to anyone, they're going to want to bomb the fuck out of you because they're being oppressed. They're going to wife. It's like right. it's like saying the the you know the 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 black population of South Africa during apartheid were terrorists for wanting to fight back. Let's remind everybody that Nelson Mandela was a terrorist. That's mm. why he was in jail for twenty seven years. He was fine. But the world doesn't think of him as a terrorist. We don't remember him as a terrorist. We remember his him as a freedom fighter because his people were being oppressed right. by the white population the white minority of south africa it's exactly the same with the palestinians so look there are there are human rights abuses so the, the the argument shouldn't be well we're going to walk away because you criticize israel too much it's like hey listen you're right israel is doing some heinous shit let's stop them from doing that and then can we please go focus on what the saudis are doing and china's doing and russia's doing and by the way australia is doing throwing asylum seekers into concentration camps. Um, uh, we've got our own deportation issues at the moment, separating parents from children. Mm. we look at what the United States is doing here and around the world. Look at what they've done with Gitmo and with their prisons and all this kind of stuff. Look at, look at all countries equally. And yes, let's talk about reforming the Human yeah. Rights Council and coming up with better models. Let's come up with reforming the Security Council, getting rid of the veto the United Nations isn't perfect, but it's how FDR set it up. Did he right. foresee all of the possible flaws and problems with it? Probably not, but he believed, and, and I give him credit for this, that we needed an international um, uh, 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 forum mm-hmm. where countries could sit down and talk about their problems and their disagreements the, the, the League of Nations didn't work mostly because the United States wasn't part of it um, and, and it was flawed in, in terms of how it was. Uh, it didn't have a police force. You and I went into great detail on this in our right. Cold War series. <clears throat> um, but walking away is not a grown-up, mature adult's response to a situation like you wanna this. Know, you want to know um, what and, else is not an adult response? Building a wall. <laughs> Yeah, well. No, but you're right. Dialogue, I, look, I, dialogue is the beginning of solving these things, and now we're not a part of that dialogue. And I look, I, I don't expect Trump to do sensible things. I mean, that's not surprising. What's surprising to me is the number of Americans that I've seen uh, on Facebook and Reddit and places like that that are buying into this bullshit argument, basically siding with the Trump administration, Saying, oh, yeah, well, fuck the HRC. They criticize Israel and they're biased. And they've got Saudi Arabia uh, and, and the Iron Fist guys as well. Yeah, it's they're, they're, it's broken. Yeah, okay, it, it's it's not perfect. It's broken. But it's a democracy. And in, in democracies, you're always going to have people that you disagree with. Yeah, that's the whole point. And look, the, 
if, if the vast, if, if there are lots of countries in the world that we disagree with, we can't just disengage from dialogue or trade with them because we disagree with them. We have to figure out what the levers are to try and convince them to come over to our side of the argument. But walking away from the discussion shouldn't be one of those. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's talking about Saudi Arabia again in the United States. How are we doing for time? Like, 45. I really got a... Okay. Um, it looks like the United States is going to be the world's top producer of oil within the next few months. Woo! USA! USA! <laughs> now, I don't even want to think about all the uh, environments that we're destroying. I don't know all the details, but the point is, yeah, we're about to... I guess this... I don't know if this has been a goal of America, but um, yeah, we're about to become the number one oil producer. We still import, but we're, we're doing better, in a sense. So where has the where, where does the U.S. normally sit in terms of oil producing countries in the world, Ray? Um, I mean, I thought we I thought we did pretty well. I mean, I like in the top ten, but I know that we were behind uh, middle, uh, OPEC and Russia. But I'm 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 amazed that we're going to be we're about to pass them. We you normally at number three. Uh, so n- normally it's it's Russia. Saudi Arabia and the United States, although the United States did surpass Saudi Arabia recently, so it's currently sitting at number two, right. and it is going to be number one. And and it all comes down to shale oil, mm. which has been very controversial because of what it does to the waterbeds and all of that kind of stuff. There's uh, fracking uh, as well has been part of that. But shale, where you go down and you... you, you extract oil from the the shale shelves i don't understand the technology of it that much but a rough idea about how it works this is something that's been around for a long time shale oil is not a new thing Mm -hmm. Um, people have been uh mining is that the right word oil do you mine oil extracting mate let's go with that drill yeah Uh, shale oil for you know a century or more um, but apparently it used to be very expensive to refine, extract mm-hmm. and refine shale oil. So they, they kind of stopped doing it for a while because it just wasn't economically viable. It was much cheaper just to do, um, you know, drill regular oil, whatever the fuck that is. What, 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 what do they call <laughs> Non-shale. that? Non-shale. I don't know. Oil. Shale-free. Yeah. Shale- <laughs> <laughs> Shale-free oil. It's a term for it. Um, but uh, there's been recent advances and a lot of investment into the technology to extract and refine shale oil where the cost of producing it has dropped. I still don't think it's as profitable right. as uh, you're not, you're, you're regular going to the desert oil, right. um, it's but uh, it's, yeah, increasingly doable. So according to the chairman of Pioneer Natural Resources, big American um, oil company, he says that uh, the United States will surpass 11 million barrels a day in the next three to four months. So it's going to make it the top oil producer in the world. Yeah. In 2017, the United States uh, consumed... How much oil do you think you consume? If you're going to produce 11 million barrels a day, right? how much do you think you consume in a, well, a day, we, Ray? If we do 11 billion, but it's not enough... Uh, so somewhere around ten, I don't know. No, you yeah. you 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 you're going to produce eleven. Oh, and it's year, not enough. So fi- day. so fifteen. It's closer to twenty. Twenty, okay. You use an average of twenty million barrels a day. Seven point two six billion barrels a year. Well, that's what you you used in twenty seventeen of petroleum products, which. Is twenty five percent of the world's total? Oh my god, we got a fucking change. We need hippie songs. Seventies changing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What percentage of the world population lives in the United States? I don't. Well, there's six billion. We're about three hundred million. I don't do advanced mathematics. Seven billion. Seven billion. Okay, yeah. so I had my numbers wrong. Mm. I don't mm. know. Obviously, not twenty five percent. 
Well, ten percent of seven billion would be seven hundred million. Half of that would be three hundred and fifty million, roughly mm-hmm. the population of the United States, three thirty, right. something like that. So you're about five percent of the world's population, but you use twenty five percent of the world's oil. Damn. So eleven billion eleven million barrels a day would be a roughly half. Right. Um a little more than half of what the US consumes every day. Um so I guess the question in my mind is what does this mean for the US Saudi relationship moving forwards and the US Russia relationship? Mm. Uh, a lot of a lot of what we see happening militarily in the world is obviously driven by economics and oil is a big driver of that. Right. It's a big creator of wealth. Uh, it's the, 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 the main economic driver of both Russia and the Saudis. Uh, so whenever uh, there's more supply of oil on the market, prices drop due to supply and demand, which means if your economy is based on oil mm-hmm. and the price of oil takes a big hit, uh. your economy suffers. If your economy suffers, what do you do? Yeah. Well, you you try and prop it up in a variety of ways. Um, so anyway, it'll be interesting to see how that went. Now, here's, here's a question for you, Ray. Because uh, I understand, you know, I know it's a while since you did your, your PhD in economics, but um, see how much you can remember. So, uh, where does the United States? So, so it, it can produce about half of its own oil right. requirements. Where does it get the rest of its oil from today? I'm- in order of in order of uh, uh, supply relationship, biggest first down to the lowest, oh, if you right. would be so kind. Could oh, you just God. could you explain that to us, Ray? Because uh, I think we probably need that information to be right. able to assess the importance of this news. Well, that's a lot of oil that we would need. So I would imagine we'd get it from several different countries. I'm guessing the Middle East. I'm guessing Russia, and I'm guessing Canada. Not bad. Uh, wrong order of priority or oh. order of uh, uh, of sale, and you missed a big one. Okay. So the the number one place the United States gets its oil from is Canada. Really? Who? Why are we pissing them off? Just sorry. Go ahead. Just declared war on. Uh, <laughs> yes. Just declared a trade war what? with Canada. What? And it's where you get, in 2015, anyway, you bought 1.37 billion barrels of oil from Canada. I'm sorry, Canada. Mexico as a country comes next. Really? Um, And then Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and Kuwait. Mm -hmm. um, If you combine them all together, they come in at sort of 544 million barrels. Wow. But that's a 40% decrease from what you were buying from those countries in 2000. Now, I, so you're buying a yeah. lot less from them and a lot more from Canada. Oh, my God. So, Because I remember when Trump was going on about um, trade deficits with Canada and Trudeau would come back and he said, well, we have a, you have a trade deficit with us in this category. In this other category, you have a surplus. And so we all, we, I mean, you and I don't need to know that economics is very, very complicated. And when it's with countries, it's billions of dollars. It's extremely complicated. So for Trump to not know what he's talking about, to piss off the people that we get our next largest supply of oil. It's just asinine. I had read another article that back in January of 2017, Russia and OPEC purposefully pulled back just a little bit on their oil production, their their out, output, because they were trying to raise the price. They were trying to lower the supply and raise the pl- price. Um, and because they did that uh, and prices went up a little bit, uh, Americans, uh, the American companies were able to go in and tap places that they couldn't before because it would have been cost prohibitive, but now the price of oil has gone up. Uh, it's worth doing now. I haven't driven to a job since January, but I hear everybody on Facebook bitching about the, the price of gas or whatever. So again, um, if, if this is us winning and we're supposed to get tired of winning, we're not doing a very good job. But, but Trump just seems to be making all these horrible decisions about pissing off our allies and sucking up to our I don't know what you want to call them, political or geographic enemies or whatever, but I don't get why would we, because we're an oil-based country, why would we fuck with Canada and Mexico when obviously we get a lot of oil from them? 
Well, let's go back to a, an earlier question. So why do you think the amount of oil you've bought from the Middle East has dropped by 40% since 2000? Um, <clears throat> I would, if I could, if it could be true, are we doing alternative forms of energy or are we just producing more oil ourselves so we don't need as much oil from other people? I, I don't know. Well, what happened in uh, 2003, Ray? Uh, there was a, uh, was there a war? <laughs> <laughs> was it Desert Storm, Desert Freedom, Operation, Go Get the Motherfuckers with the Oil? I can't, I can't remember. I, yeah, obviously, you have September 11th, 2001. Desert Storm, I think, Desert was Storm. Norman Schwarzkopf okay. in 1991. Oh, I get all the... Iraqi, the, Kuwait, Saddam, the, Kuwait thing, yeah. I get all the names mixed up. No, I think 2003, the invasion of Iraq was mm. Operation Rolling Thunder or something Ooh, like that, wasn't that's it? the name of my band. <clears throat> Some big dick name. Right. Um, yeah, well, um, I haven't drilled down into this, but at a guess, I'd say the Middle East has been had a lot of problems since right. uh, the, the Americans decided to invade Iraq in two thousand and late two thousand and one, early two thousand and two. Uh, then uh, Afghanistan, then Iraq in two thousand and three, um, and then that you know there was a lot of oil wells that were destroyed in the oh, process, yeah. set fire to by various parties. Then ISIS came in and took a lot of the oil Thanks, and ISIS. sold some of it. Right. So uh, yeah, so there's been a lot of uh, disruption in Iraq and Kuwait. Uh, since uh, the early 2000s. Mm. Saudi Arabia, uh, not so much. They've had their own problems, but they, you know, a lot of their uh, oil wells, I think, got caught up in this. And there's a um, certain amount of, uh, you know, I think Iraq normally is number four oil producer uh, mm. in the world. So it's had a lot of problems uh, producing at capacity right. um, in the last 15, 16 years. So it's probably got something to do with it. Um but yeah, look, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And, and you know, I, I, I think it's oil is a big driver of all of these things, as I mentioned before. Geopolitical movements and machinations driven a lot by oil. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's something that we should pay a lot more attention to. But we've got to move on right now because we've got to wrap it up. Uh, last story I want to talk about, according to the Lowy Institute, Lowy Institute is an Australian think tank. They do an annual survey of Australians. Um, this one was done between the 5th and the 25th of March, 2018, a sample size of 1,200 Australian adults. According to this study, less than half of Australians under the age of 45 prefer democracy. Oh, God. <laughs> they want us to rule, don't they? That's it. They're basically, they said, uh, just give it to Cam. Uh, let him do what he wants. He knows what's going on. 62% uh, of respondents overall said they thought democracy was preferable to any other kind of government. But when you get down to the 18 to 44 age bracket, it was less than half. It was Ooh. like, I don't know, 48% or something like that. Right. But only 62% overall. They don't think democracy is really the right kind of government. Wow. Well, I wonder what they're thinking of instead. But yeah. yeah. I guess we'll find yeah. out. <laughs> well, so I guess there's a couple of questions here, like why would this be happening? Why are people under the age of 45 thinking, yeah, democracy is not great, really? Where... Has democracy gone wrong for these people that they're not a fan? Well, you just said yourself a couple of minutes ago about your immigration policy, um, about what you're doing for people who are seeking asylum, putting them in cages or whatever. I mean, you, you look at these young people who are trying to get on with their lives and they're probably enjoying living in a place that's beautiful and, and, and they can understand why people would want to come in and the way they treat them. I mean, how do you not have resentment towards your government or leaders when you see and i'm sure that's just one of many things that um the government all governments do to to upset and to disappoint their people 
Yeah, yeah it may have something to do with that. Um, I, I think there's just a general decline in the faith of our political system mm-hmm. and a, a, a growing awareness uh, in people of this age that democracy has been co-opted by the wealthy elite. Right. Uh, not that that's a new thing, but I think people are more aware of it today than maybe previous generations were. Right. Um, now, uh, there's yeah, been a bit of gnashing of teeth over this in Australia uh, in the last few days, mm. last week since this report came out. Um, although I've seen more uh, media coverage, funnily, about what the poll had to say about Australians' feelings about Trump and America and China. Right. But also, some of the results were that uh, our faith in the US to act responsibly has fallen from 83% in 2011 to 55% today should be lower while only th- yeah well that's was my question why the fuck is it so high right. that's what it's shocked tr- me it's Trump we're talking about yeah only 30% of Australians have confidence in Donald Trump's foreign policy again I have to ask why is it yeah. so fucking high that's why, a ridiculously high number why is it a two digit number exactly I think those thirty percent of that thirty percent of people that uh, haven't seen anything in the news for the last uh, couple of years, trust in Russia has dropped from fifty nine percent in two thousand and nine to twenty eight percent in two thousand and eighteen. Yeah. Now I have to ask, why would that be? Why has our trust in Russia dropped? Putin was running it in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. Putin's running it in two thousand and eighteen. Not like they've had a change of power, change of government. Why is our trust halved in that period of time? All the stories coming out of America about tampering with election. That would be my guess. Yeah. And the stuff about Ukraine and... Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Other interesting stats to come out is that uh, most Aussies think China is the world's leading economic power. Mm-hmm. Most Australians think climate change is a serious problem that we need to do something about quick smart and that we should, uh, the government should be making huge investments in sustainable energy technologies. Um, And um, when I say the majority, it's like by a huge margin, it's like 85% of Australians uh, uh, took that position on those two things. Yeah, but the government's not doing any of that. You know, we uh, Australians say that. But then we've got a conservative government that's supporting the uh, fossil fuel industry and doing fuck all for alternative energies. And getting paid That we voted into power. Yeah. Yeah. And 78% of Australians are dissatisfied with the direction that the world is going in today. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to address that real quick. I know you got to you got to get up and go, but um, I was looking at one stat from this report, and and you get a sense of uh, all the fear and the and the um, what do you call it when you pit one uh, group against another? You know what all the stuff that that you see in the news, it's all very divisive and all very uh, fear mongering. There was one stat that said, uh, "How much do you think we give in foreign aid?" And the average guess was about fourteen percent. Most people thought it should be about ten percent. That sounded fair, but in reality. Uh, the the percentage of the budget that Australia gives out in foreign aid is like 0.08%. But because of all the news stories, or I guess some of the news stories, Murdoch and stuff like that, they're being told that they're giving away far too much of their stuff to other countries, is more, you know, should be more nationalistic and keep it in the country. So when you have that kind of uh, I just beating the drums and you're making your pe- people fearful, I'm not surprised that they feel like the world and maybe to a degree their country is heading in the wrong direction. Mm. The same thing. Yeah, here. these surveys are always interesting to see how little people know, and yeah. uh, also how different the view of Australians is versus the view of our governments on a lot of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, anywho, that's the show for this week. Show notes will be up on the website. Uh, don't forget to check out our Reddit page as well. Another way of keeping up our Facebook page. Keep in touch with us. Uh, see what's going on. We are going to be uh, off the air now for probably a month. 
Uh, we, we'll probably put out bits and pieces of shows that we'll just do for fun, like just us sitting in a bar drinking yeah. wine um, when we're in Europe. But we're going to have a great time. We'll we'll yeah. do some videos. Keep an eye on our Facebook and our Reddit pages. Ray and uh, Cam and Ray, I think the Facebook thing is, mm-hmm. and and also on Facebook you can find us. Just go to uh, lifeofcaesar.com or, or or any one of our websites if you want to um, find out where to find us on Facebook and uh, Reddit yeah. and those sorts of places. And um, yeah, we're gonna have a great time without y'all. And uh, sucks to be you, but um, we're gonna have a great time. We're doing, just for people who don't know, we're going to Paris, Ajaxio in Corsica. Um, uh, We're going to go to Florence. We're going to Rome. And then we're going to Athens. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Try to keep up with us. All right. I got to go. That's us. We'll be back in a month.